certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Around 100 items were collected during and following the post-mortem of Kira Glennon. Just days later, one of those items was missing. This is day 30 of Claremont in Conversation. Thanks for joining us. Natalie Bongiolo in the studio with the West Australian's Emily Morton and Tim Clark calling in from Supreme Court. Tim, what you heard today was a continuation of this really highly detailed questioning of a former forensic officer of the state. Yes. So we had day two of uh, Adam McCulloch today, we discussed him yesterday. He's the sergeant, one of the forensic officers who was uh, heavily involved uh, at crime scenes and particularly at Ms Glennon's post-mortem. Um, he finished giving his evidence in chief this morning and then he was uh, subjected to quite a, quite a few hours of cross-examination by, by uh, Mr Edwards' defence lawyer. Paul Jovic, um, and we went through, as you say, in, in, in minute detail, um, uh, all his various actions uh, uh, over the journey of, of his involvement in investigations, because he was also involved in collecting exhibits with the, the Karakata rape in '95. Um, and so, yeah, we were taken through what he did then, what he did during the post-mortem, in particular concerning Miss Glennon's fingernails, and also collections of, of other exhibits. And as you said in your intro, Nat, in, in one of those cases, it, it's an exhibit that was and then wasn't because it, it, it somehow went missing. So um, talk to us about this particular exhibit. Um, so this was one of the more than or nearly two dozen exhibits taken right at the start of the post-mortem. Um, the investigators did what they call a poly-light examination of Kira's remains. Um, uh, listeners will probably be somewhat aware of what that is. It's a highly fluorescent light that is used to pick up um, small um, uh, pieces of evidence that might not be uh, uh, visible to the naked eye, and also um, liquids, particularly blood, and that they can be seen because they fluoresce under this light and so that light was cast over Miss Glennon's remains and um, 23 exhibits in all were were taken um, which included um, fibres and hair mostly um, uh, and they were very gently and precisely taken off the body by with a pair of tweezers and then placed into um, uh, mostly into these yellow top containers that we've also heard so much about. Um, it was Mr McCulloch's job to secure those, to label those, and then to take custody of those at the end of the post-mortem, which is, which is what he did, um, most notably along with um, Kira's shirt that she was wearing when she was found, which was very soiled, very stained, obviously, and because it had been out in the elements for so long, but also very damp. And so he took the shirt, along with these other exhibits, um, to his, or close to it, his office uh, at another um, location, um, and placed them in what they call the drying room, which is which was a heated room, which had uh, stainless steel racks on which items could be placed on um, to be dried, which is what he did with the T-shirt. But at the same time, because the uh, state, uh, the 
Path Lab at, at, the, at that time because it was on the weekend, wasn't open. He also took these other exhibits and placed them in this drying room because it was supposedly secure. It could be locked with a key, which he had, which is what he did on the Friday night, um, just after six o'clock. Um, and then on the Monday morning, um, he went to retrieve these some of these items, the smaller items, because they were going to have a briefing amongst the, the, the investigators about what they uh, what they got. But when he went to get this certain item called AJM, which was titled AJM 23, which is a small white fiber that had been placed in one of these pots, he looked inside the pot and the fiber wasn't there. Um, and so Mr. McCulloch confirmed that he opened up the pot to check that the thing wasn't, the little fiber wasn't in the lid, which it wasn't. Um, so he placed the top back on the pot and reported the, uh, the item um, as, as missing. And do you know who actually collected that particular fibre? Yes, yeah. yeah, so he collected it, but it was actually taken off the body by um, Bob McDermott, who we heard from last week, who was the mortuary technician. So he was actually doing the tweezing, but then once it was in the pot and, and, and collected and the top put on, um, Mr., uh, Mr. Sergeant McCulloch was then in charge of those exhibits. And was there any more information about um, how important this particular fibre was um, or exactly what this fibre was? Not really. There wasn't anything about it. Well, I mean, I guess any exhibit is important at the time, but it is also missing, so I guess you'll never know whether it was something that was important or not. But um, Carmel Barbagello asked on, like, after on re-examination of... um, uh, Mr. McCulloch was he basically asked him, sort of, you know, how big this fibre was to explain, sort of, how could it, you know, how could it go missing, um, and he just said that, you know, it was a very small night, small and minute, sort of, like I guess we all know what fibre is, and he just said it was really hard to see with the eye, and that's why they like they only found it when they used the poly light, because basically he said the poly light was used to find sort of unusual things or anything that couldn't be seen with the naked eye. So he just said it was really, really small. But in terms of its significance, we don't really know. We just know that it's missing. Um, but, it, but it was described as a white fibre and all the fibres that they're talking about at the moment are blue or grey. So mm. whether it had any significance, we don't know. And once the items um, are taken to the drying room and put on the racks and you're talking about clothing and stuff like that, mm. what then happens to that? Is that... Uh, once it's dried, did he talk about what happens to it? Is it folded back up and put it back in the same bag, or what do they do with that evidence then? Yeah, they, he said um, that it, once it's dried, he does. They put it back into the same bag, and then it's taken off to wherever it's going to be um, examined. Or like I think he said, it went to the lab. Um, but he he was asked about that as well in detail about to go through what he did after it, it had dried, and he said that they like. He, said that he you know he had gloves on and, and had the gown on and everything that supplied that you know is supplied so he did sort of pack it up and then put it in in the same bag that it was in to begin with and he basically said it, it couldn't have stayed in that bag because of you know how wet and soiled and I think he said sodden um so that was the reason why they they didn't sort of well they put it in the drying room in the first place and then put it back in the bag but I think we heard yesterday uh, correct me if I'm wrong Tim that it was still the bag itself still had, like it still, um, I guess the the item itself still seeped through. If that's a yeah, because yeah, I, I think, think we saw a picture yeah. as well of the bag yeah, itself. 
Yeah, we did, um, Em, and the, the bag itself, we did see a picture of it yesterday, and I suppose the bag itself becomes part of the evidence when it, it contains such an important item, and we know this item is going to be important because there were subsequently fibres allegedly found on it um, after it went over to America and, and, and was examined by the FBI over there. Um there was also a drop sheet placed underneath the the, um, the the T-shirt as it was drying over that weekend to supposedly capture any material that might have um, fallen off it during that process. So, as Em said, it wasn't just a case of the shirt going in the bag and then the bag being discarded. It all becomes part of the evidentiary matrix, if you want to call it that. And, and ironically, it is tiny little fibers that were subsequently scraped from that shirt that are, are some of the critical exhibits because they're all said to be the blue fibers that um, allegedly come from Mr. Edwards's um, work pants and shorts. You saw a picture of um, the bag. Can you just mm. describe for listeners what that looked like? Well, I'll borrow a phrase some one of the other witnesses used last week. It's not your common or garden lunch bag that you get out of the drawer to put your uh, your sandwiches in um, before you go to work but it is a brown paper bag with green stripes on it quite i mean large enough obviously to hold a, 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 a decent size exhibit but possibly not the exact item you would imagine that critical exhibits might be might be stored in um and obviously there was a a flaw in, in using paper because when exhibits were wet um, whether they be have, have been out in the elements or maybe had blood on them or whatever um, that those, those bags would become soiled and, and, um, and maybe um, a little bit weakened themselves as well so and obviously we've seen since that plastic bags were used very soon after this um, to store other exhibits including um, critical exhibits that then went overseas in this case. I think one of the one of, I can't remember which witness it was but it was a, a while back had said like why they do they still use paper bags and they still do and the reason for that is for items that they say need to breathe mm. so and to stop mould collecting so it's kind of I guess in the case of this shirt which was quite wet and, and um, it probably was that's why it had to go into the drying room first but then with other evidence which isn't wet so for clothing and stuff and and i think with the vegetation they said that that was why they use paper bags because it would allow those exhibits to breathe whereas if you put it in an airtight container it doesn't so but then they also said today um sergeant mcculloch did say that one of the reasons why it was they took out the shirt to put in the drying room so that it wouldn't create mould in the bag either. And were there any any other items collected during the post-mortem that we haven't heard about yet? Um, well, I mean, it feels like we've heard about them all. We've been <laughs> quite a long and laborious couple of days. Um, it was, I, well, certainly 60, I think, sort of taken over the duration of the post-mortem and then various others... Uh, came later vegetation and drop sheets and body bags and things like things things of those nature that were actually sort of added to um but mr mcculloch or sergeant mcculloch's evidence did did finish this afternoon and as we said he i mean he is the main, the main man in terms of collection of all those uh, certainly glennon exhibits um including the fingernails and the, sh- the shirt um and um 
sort of hear and things like that. So we think we've 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 heard about most of them, um, but we also know that there's there's quite a few more um, sort of forensic uh, witnesses to come. Certainly, certainly this week, um, so we might we might well um, have have to go through a, a few more lists of, of things that were gathered and collected and then uh, stored for many many years. And uh, in yesterday's podcast, we heard that Mr McCulloch had admitted that he touched Kira's hand um, when he was collecting the fingernail exhibits. Was he questioned further about that today? Yeah, a little bit, Matt. I mean, just not in a, an accusatory manner. He, was, he wasn't questioned about the validity of having done that, but he was questioned about the exact um, time, motion and, and reason for doing that. And he, and he he explained that it, it was in that process of the fingernails being cut um, that he 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 held Kira's hand during that process only lightly towards the end of the finger, um, and and that's as far as that questioning went really. And we would assume that that could be seen on the video as as well, or even though we, we can't see it. Um, so it was it was it was more a um, the questioning was more to just to exactly pin down um, what he did and and why he did it um, rather than a, a question of or why would you do that? Um, in 2019, so last year, he went to the forensic building where these DNA exhibits are kept. What was that for? Well, that was part of the process of preparing um, for the trial um, and but there, there was I mean the other sort of, I suppose main topic that came out of um, Sergeant McCulloch's cross-examination was a was a, a going overall as he was preparing for the trial he realized himself that there might have been um, some errors in in some of the statements he'd made police statements he'd made particularly a statement concerning the earlier um, exhibits um, taken from the Karakata scene, in one of the statements he said that um, he had secured the bag used to um, collect those exhibits with evidence tape and he said he always did that that was his practice but then when in preparing for the trial um, it was realised by a cold case detective that he actually hadn't done that and those back, that bag had just been folded over rather than being taped up. Um, so in that process, he then had to give another statement or an amended statement, amended statement um, to say, "Well, I was wrong. I didn't do that." And you know, I'll hold my hand up to say that I didn't do that. And he said in court today that it was an oversight. And then we found out that in 2019, he also was called in um, to look at some of the the. Glennon exhibits, it wasn't actually explored whether there was any doubt or, or uh, worry about any of the accuracy in, in terms of those, but he certainly said that he was called in um, to look at um, in particular the pot that 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 thumbnail, that left thumbnail was, was housed in um, AJM 40. Um, I think, Em, they actually said in court today that that pot was empty as well, but I don't think that was there's anything um, concerning about that because AGM 40, the fingernail, was so small, mm. um, they, 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 they could only 
they had to use it, all of it, basically, to get the DNA sample that now becomes so critical, um, and which is why that pot would be empty, because all of that sample has basically been used up in, um, for investigative purposes. I think um, just the, the detail with this and the going backward and the forward and, and the questions that are being asked, I mean, I don't know if listeners realise that sort of this is information that you're hearing over the course of eight hours during the day yeah. and then you're condensing it down for us into this, you know, 30 minutes of information. But do you find this level of detail quite staggering? Yeah, it's sort of because I'm live blogging it as well, so I'm trying to listen to what is what is being asked and what is being given as evidence while trying to also write it in a way that is easy for people to understand. And sometimes it's direct quotes, sometimes it's paraphrasing and it's all happening at the same time. But especially with cross-examinations as well, like he he goes back and forth and and the way that they're whether the way that both the prosecution and defence ask questions. It's always they'll they'll go along a line of questioning, and if they don't get the answer that they need to go to keep going, they'll go and ask something else from a different, maybe something that's happened relatively same, or or ask some general questions about their their practice at the time to rejog their memory and then come back to it. So how, sometimes the like the questions are being answered asked, and then they sort of get answered, and then we're like, okay, what what's this about? And then it just completely disappears, and then we're like, okay, waiting, and then it's an hour later, it comes back to it, and you're like, oh, okay, that's where they're going, and it's it's much harder for me to be able to try and tie that in for people in a blog because I've just got to keep like writing as it's coming because these witnesses now like they're taking long like a long time like at the start of the trial. Or the, the civilian witnesses, like they maybe ask questions for an hour and then that'll be it and, and that's it. Whereas these, these um, witnesses are being asked over the course of a day, two days, three days in, this, in the case of Robert Hemmler. Um, that's right. So, and then I think it's only going to get more like that <laughs> from here on <laughs> in. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. No, I mean, it's, it, it, it is tedious at times. It is laborious. I mean, and that sounds extremely given the subject matter. Um, but as you say, over the course of six hours of evidence, eight hours in a day, um, it, it, your powers of concentration are, are, are tested quite a lot. You know, the exhibits that we that Ms, Mr. Jovich particularly has been focusing on, um, but we don't really know in what context he's focusing on them yet because we haven't got the full defence picture yet because he doesn't want to disclose it all yet. So we are trying to... Uh, Use our powers of deduction a little bit, um, you know, trying trying to bring it all together. Um, and uh, sometimes it, it is difficult because of the level of detail. Um, but as we discussed with Damien on Monday, it's it's absolutely essential that this, all this detail is gone over because um, it literally every stand needs to be um, overturned and looked under, um, so Justice Hall can get the, the full picture, so he can do his job at the end of the trial. I guess as each little piece of the jigsaw puzzle falls into place, you you probably do have those little light bulb moments through the course of the day where you recollect something from earlier and you think, okay, I see where that's going now. Yeah, yeah, it does it, it does do that a little bit. And then just even with this, like I was thinking with the witnesses who have to recall things from 23 years ago, I'm like, I can't even remember last week. <laughs> and there's so much information coming through. So it's just, yeah, but every now and again you go, oh, I remember that was asked 
last week or the week before and now we can see it and and we were just sort of discussing amongst all the journos today like sort of the line of questioning now we're like you know it could pop up in a month or two like all these questions that are being answered now when it comes to when the defence finally sort of present their case then maybe that's where some of this questioning is going to pop up but we still don't really know we're just sort of trying to listen go okay and see where it goes and hopefully that we try to understand it and try and present it in a way so that readers and listeners can understand as well yeah it's a little bit like a paint by numbers picture at the moment but we haven't really got all the numbers um i mean we're trying to fit it in as we go <laughs> yeah um, but um hopefully well certainly in, in in a few months to we will have all the numbers and hopefully have all the colours that we can that we can put together the picture that both sides want to present and then it's up to, of course, Justice Hall to um, to come to a conclusion and a verdict. And you were meant to hear from another um, mortuary witness today, but that didn't eventuate. What happened there? Um, yeah, um, just before uh, after Sergeant McCulloch finished his evidence, um, Carmel Boagallo said to the judge, "Look, we were meant to have." Um, Tony White, who I think is the state mortuary manager now, um, to give evidence. But she said he was on call last night. So he had a call out at 2am and he was actually falling asleep outside the courtroom. And because Sergeant McCulloch, McCulloch's evidence went for so long, she just said, look, he just wasn't in a position to give evidence today. So she sent him home. So we finished a little earlier than normal, which was nice for us. But um, he should be back on the stand tomorrow. So Justice Hall was like, yep, he was fine. He's like, yep, no, I understand. So... Um, yeah, so we were meant to hear from him, but we're not sure. I think, I don't know, Tim, if you remember, like, how much he had to do with the post-mortems? Well, he was, um, as you say, uh, he's a lot more senior now than he was then. We understand that he was uh, one of the mortuary assistants, technicians, who assisted in, 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 in some of the processes um over that time, but we, I mean, we basically don't know. We haven't we haven't been given his full um, picture yet or full role yet. We'll find that out um, tomorrow. Um, not anticipating him to be a, 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 a hugely important witness, but uh, but it's very important, obviously, that any witness is is um, is fit and and ready um, and in a position to give the best evidence, the most truthful evidence, you know. That, and, and the, the fullest evidence that they can, and so that's why the judge um, was was quite understanding um, of of Mr. White's position, given that he'd um, he'd had a, a late night call out or an early morning call out, um, and then come come straight to court. Well, we're very interested to hear what he has to say tomorrow. Um, just moving on to some questions from listeners, we've had some questions from. Uh, podcast listeners who are actually going into the court and watching proceedings and they've told us that they've noticed Bradley Edwards is taking notes with his left hand. So a few of those people are asking if it's been brought up at any stage whether the injuries show a left or right-handed person inflicted them. I don't think so but I, I expect that we will find that out in the coming days when the pathologists give evidence. I think when we get to that that will they'll maybe but then I guess both bodies were decompose so when it came to Jane Rimmer I think you know I think the initial um, conclusion was that it was that she couldn't determine her, her cause of death but they mentioned that you know they did think it was possibly like it was a neck wound but I, I don't know if they can um, but then who knows I mean they're, they're, they're sent they're going to be giving the evidence over the next few days or even next week so we may hear from 
hear from whether that's a, 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 I guess a finding that they were able to make, but we haven't heard it so far, not that I'm aware of. And is it expected that um, Karen Margolis's uh, statement will be read into the court? We're assuming it will, Nat, but they're very long and very detailed um, reports. I mean, it's not a statement as such. And I would be surprised if well, certainly the prosecution would want to read something that long and that detailed into evidence. They'll, it will certainly go in as an exhibit. Um, uh, so Justice Hall can have a, his own um, reading of it. Um, um, my impression is that it, it is more likely that, that sections of that report um, will be uh, poured over and discussed with the other pathologists who will then be able to give their expert opinion on her findings. Um, it will also be interesting whether, given it is an exhibit and we as the media are permitted to request exhibits, um, whether anyone will have the have the gumption to maybe <laughs> ask Justice Hall whether we might be able to get a look at that. I, 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 I don't I like our I, chances. I think I can anticipate <laughs> the answer, but you know it is it is there. So uh, it, it will it will certainly go before Justice Hall. Parts of it will certainly go before the trial, but in the context of other witnesses being um, asked about portions and, and conclusions, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine uh, how much material is contained yeah. within those reports. It would be yes, extraordinary. And, uh, yes, and sensitive and harrowing, and um, uh, but potentially very revealing as well. Yeah. There's a variation of the same question that keeps popping up from listeners as well, and this is, has have the police ever looked into the eastern suburbs for Sarah Spears? Just wondering if both Jane and Kira were found equidistant between each other south and north. Is there any info on where police searched for Sarah's body? Um, well, certainly not in the context of this trial. No. No, there hasn't been. Um, in previous uh, reports and uh, certainly interviews, done um, with Don Spears, who's Sarah's father. Um, I, I know that he was contacted by various um, individuals, um, psychics, um, clairvoyants, that type of thing, um, which uh, really did bother him to, um, the, the, the longer it went, because in interviews, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but in interviews, Mr. Spears has said in the past, uh, obviously, I was, I wanted to 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 follow up any lead I could, but in the end, I found myself sometimes just, uh, you know, uh, having to stop myself because it was so so traumatic. Because we get all these tips about where she might be from. Uh, you know, individuals that we sometimes we'd never even met before. In terms of police, uh, there has obviously been uh, an extensive um, investigation into Sarah's disappearance, in including, I'm sure, where her remains might be. But in terms of the trial, no, there hasn't been. And, and to be honest, the police over the years have been quite tight-lipped about where they have looked um, for obvious reasons, 
investigative, operational and sensitivity to the family. Yeah. I mean, and I think for those of us who live in Perth and live in this community, the location of Sarah has been the subject of such intense speculation Mm. over the past 23 years. It is the great mystery which everybody would love to see answered, but there have been so many different theories um, out and about in the community, but the reality is we don't know. Mm. No, and we, and we never might. And we may never know, sadly. Well, thank you both for your time in court again today, and thank you all for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with forensic scientist Brendan Chapman, who hopefully will be able to shed some more light on all this uh, forensic information as we move through this minefield. Join us then for day 31 of Claremont in Conversation. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog. Watch the nightly news updates and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.